Hey guys, and welcome to episode 40 of Underrated, a show where we talk about films that we think are underrated, generally disliked, or simply forgotten. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and I am here with my co-host, James Hamrick. What's up, man? Nothing much. How are you? I've been trying not to die. This last week has been an average of around 115 degrees in Phoenix all week. It's pretty awful. Like Every time I step outside, I feel like Mad Max, you know, my world is fire. And like if you if you get into the car and have the AC on at full blast, you can kind of re- reach a, te- a temperature that's like technically able to sustain life, but it's still like really miserable. Yeah, and I work out of my car. I, so man, honestly, I don't see how people do it. <laughs> I, I, like who was the idiot who like before they had AC came here and said, "Yeah, this is where I want to live." Oh, uh, I don't know. It wasn't me. <laughs> it's a funny story. For spring break one time, my cousin used to live in Alaska, and so we decided, hey, let's go. We've never been. Let's go and spend a week in Alaska. So we obviously had packed our winter clothes, and but when we flew back to Texas, we uh, we had to catch a flight. You know, we, we would fly into Arizona and then catch a flight to Texas from there. But due to weather, I think it was due to weather or something, there was a delay. We had a three-day um, layover in Arizona, and so there we were. With nothing but heavy coats and jackets in this scorching heat. Awesome. <laughs> it was pretty terrible. We pretty much had to, we, we left, or we returned with like two weeks worth of luggage just because we had to buy clothes <laughs> and everything just to try to try to survive those three days. Yeah. All right, so today we are discussing uh, your pick, James. What are we looking at this week? We're going to watch War of the Worlds, which is a movie that, I still really love, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. Uh, me too. But before we get into that, I'd like to ask you guys, uh, if you enjoy our show, to please take a moment and rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, more iTunes reviews help uh, new listeners uh, find us. And uh, if you could take a moment to do that, just leave a few words and five stars, we would really appreciate it. And uh, now before we get into the main review, have you, uh, have you seen any cool movies this week that you want to talk about? Yeah, so I actually watched more movies uh, this has been a really slow movie summer for me, but uh, this week for Father's Day, my siblings and I, we all took my dad out to see um, a screening of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade at uh, nice. the Alamo Draft House, and it is so much fun. I mean, if anybody like if if anybody listening has ever finds himself in an opportunity to go to the Draft House and hasn't been. It's so much fun, especially for screenings like these, because they just do so much different cool stuff. And uh, Before the movie, they were, they were showing clips from the adventures of young Indiana Jones and clips from the old game and then different stuff from the Discovery Channel about the locations they shot at. Uh, so that was awesome. And that movie is, like, that's my favorite in, of the Indiana Jones films. I know... Mine too. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of argument back and forth between this and Raiders, and honestly, I I think the one thing that tips it for me is Sean Connery and the dynamic that he brings. Uh, and then I finally caught up with everyone else, and I watched Get Out uh, at long last. And that movie, part of me like wishes that I could, you know, I I I would love to be able to direct a uh, a scary movie. But between Insidious and Get Out, I feel like they've already, they're using all of these things that I would want to use. And <laughs> if I were to make a movie, it'd probably be seen as unoriginal. Now, this I, I love that the movie wasn't afraid to like get surreal and really weird at times. Um, to me, 
the thirty the third act kind of undermines, in my opinion, like any sort of helpful discussion in terms of like acting as a social commentary. Uh I think it almost it got too unbelievable and distant from the real world. Um but then just looking at it apart from that and looking at it solely as a movie, I think the movie itself is almost perfect. Yeah, I really enjoyed it and I don't like horror films, so it's just it was super unique and cr- ridiculously impressive for a directorial debut. And like the fact that Peel is focused on making like continuing to make original content has me really excited. Um then I rewatched the Coen Brothers movie Burn after reading. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. There's really not a lot. There, there's a lot to say about it, but there's really not a lot that I can say about it without just, I don't know. There are things that I love about it. There are things that I kind of hate about it. Yeah, that that's a very interesting film. It's odd and boring and then hilarious. and It's just such a weird movie. Brad Pitt, though. <laughs> Brad Pitt makes everything about it worth watching though uh and man i i'm realizing i i like george clooney as an actor a lot more than i thought i did like he is so good <sighs> you thought you didn't i didn't think i didn't it's just i never watched i have mean have you seen oh brother where art thou i have but that see i saw that this year and uh, so i saw oh brother where art thou this year and i saw uh tomorrowland this year and then i rewatched this and it's like before that there's I was really just haven't seen a whole lot of his movies. The movie that I watched the most growing up was like Batman and Robin. And even though it's unfair to him, that's the biggest memory of him I have in my head. And so that explains so much. It does. But now I I'm forgiving him for that mess because he's just an awesome actor. Is that, is that all? Yeah, that's it for me. Okay. I had a pretty uh, crowded film week as well. Uh, first I saw uh, the latest film from uh, Colin Trevorrow the book of Henry. And, oh wow. Um, I think this movie broke me for about a week. <laughs> I, I've i probably spent more time thinking about this movie than I have since any film since BVS maybe. Just trying to comprehend what it is and why. <laughs> um, it's getting completely trashed by critics and I don't think it entirely deserves that. It's it's such an odd movie. I mean, if you've seen the trailer, you know that. It's he's essentially trying to mash together these different tones and filmmaking styles and themes in a way that is fascinating, but I don't think it works. Essentially, it's a it's it's the story is told, the characters act, and the pacing is is very much like a children's film or a family film. It's you know a very a heightened reality. Everything is kind of overly cutesy, and I like that when that can work. Like my favorite, one of my favorite films of uh, I think 2015 or 14 was the, the Kenneth Branagh Cinderella. I love when a film can you know exist in this heightened reality. But then what he does is he takes this childlike view of the world and then insert very real, very dark things, and that's fascinating. I think it's a it's a really interesting attempt. But the problem is. Th- that childlike worldview cannot, first of all, completely comprehend these evil, this, this e- evil things he's trying to deal with, and secondly, cannot give um, proper, like, like due diligence to actually you know dealing with it and give correct answers to it. So 
Well, I think it is fascinating, you know, the idea of what how a child would react to these horrible things in the world. Ultimately, the answers it gives are the answers a child would give. And since these are very real problems that happen all the time, unfortunately, in the real world, it's almost kind of insulting to these actual problems, the fact how easily they are dealt with because it's from a kid's perspective. So I just – I don't I, – I like a lot about this movie. I like – I think the acting is fantastic. Uh, Jaden Lieberhurt, Jacob Tremblay, and uh, Maddie Ziegler, who's actually – only been a dancer up till now. She, this is her first film. I mean, they're all children, and they all give very, very good performances. I mean, the, the acting in this film is stunning, especially from the kids. Just the amount of screen time they have to command, and and you know, and this the the, the range of emotions they have to go through is is impressive. Um, and I, I I like I really like Trevor as a visual director. I think he takes he had a very he had like 10 million and this film looks like a 30 million dollar film it just it looks really good all the visual direction is is top notch it it moves it, it's really well paced but it's just i don't think this film should exist i think it's it's just the story it tries to tell shouldn't be told not in this way and it just it's it's just this jumbled thing that eventually while i like bits and pieces and i like it while i'm watching it it just leaves this really bad taste in your mouth. I don't know. It's it's, it's such an odd film. I I really want you to watch it so I can have someone to talk to. Yeah, it's really weird because like I I saw the trailer and I thought, what the heck is this? Like, I feel like I just watched this. It, it's like you gave five different directors the same story and asked them to tell that same story in a different tone, and then made a trailer compiled of all five different tones. <laughs> and I was like, what yeah. What kind of movie is this? And so, I mean, when it got bad reviews, I wasn't really surprised. But what does surprise me is, like, the kind of reaction it's gotten. I expected people to think it's bad, but, like, just everything, like, all the statements about how ambitious it is and how, like, I don't know, like, pretty much what you said. Like, what you were just saying was not really the reaction I was expecting. I was expecting people to think it was jumbled, but... Yeah, I... It's got like a twenty three percent critic rating and then a seventy percent audience rating. So that I think, look, as a story, moment to moment, I find it very enjoyable and engaging. It's just as a whole, I, it shouldn't. It, this should not be. It's it's wrong. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. Well, it was on my list of movies that I do want to see, but now it's. I I think I'll bump it up because just out of sheer interest. Yeah. Um. And also, I saw. I finally got around to seeing. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's classic action film Predator and this is a really good movie <laughs> John McTiernan is incredible at creating this like all-consuming sense of claustrophobia and dread and I love how this film just crosses over between different genres you know going from you know your average war film into this horror slasher film that's like in, that's in this really claustrophobic jungle then turning into this Rambo style uh, showdown between two inhuman beasts you know Arnie and the Predator and it just seamlessly moves between all of those in a way that's just so perfect and keep you keeps you engaged and just builds and builds. Um, really good movie. Uh, although it actually got really bad reviews when it came out. Uh, can you believe this thing has a forty percent uh, or a forty on um, Metacritic? Really? Yeah. Wow. It's weird. Like a lot of people did not like it at all when it came out. It just just boggles me because this is a good this is a good movie. Yeah, I mean it's. It's that 80s machismo done right. Yeah. And uh, finally, I saw uh, Colin Trevorrow's other film, or first directorial debut, Safety Not Guaranteed. And wow. 
Um, yeah, I'm I'm fine with him getting Star Wars now because of this movie. It, it is really, really good. Um, what's really shocking is that it was only made for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, but it looks it looks like like a full budget Hollywood film. It's really popular now online, especially after Book of Henry to complain. Oh my gosh, Colin Trevor got one hit, and now he gets Star Wars. Hollywood's so stupid, and oh my gosh, they're so evil. Why do they keep hiring this this hack? And this is why he know he he can take he can make a good looking and very watchable film with no money, and you know that, that that's a very valuable trait. So I don't begrudge him what he's gotten. He's he's earned his place. And about the film itself. You know, like his other movies, he's playing with genres and audience expectations. All three of his films do that, some more successfully than others. You know, it's it's like a road trip coming-of-age dramedy with a bit of rom-com and then some conspiracy theory and sci-fi elements in there as well. And, you know, it, it even gets, like, some really solid character work. Um, Mark Duplass, Audrey Plaza, and uh, Jake Johnson, they all give really, really solid performances. The characters are really uh, interesting it's just a very sweet movie, you know, about regrets and expectations of life and disappointments and, you know, how people perceive each other and just just really, really sweet. Nice. I, I definitely want to see it. And in defense, all I've seen from Trevorrow is uh, Jurassic World. And in defense of him, most everything that I dislike about that movie really comes down to just the under like the lack of ambition i guess in the script and you call that empty and in a lot of ways i do think that is kind of true but i think there's still a lot of good directing in it there are a few as a whole the movie isn't like great or anything but it's just given the amount of time that went into the script and what he ended up having to work with I think most of the problems of that movie really shouldn't be laid at his feet, at least not in terms of as a director. Yeah, I do agree with that. Um, I've listened to interviews with him, and he was basically he had he was just handed this film he had to make it on with no time and just slapped together a script. So I don't really blame him for it, but it didn't really do him any favors either. So it was like, so this guy's doing Star Wars, okay? But you know, seeing his other films and seeing what he's really interested in, how he puts together a movie on his own terms, I. I find him very fascinating. Although, please, Disney, keep him on a leash. You know, it's... <laughs> I, ambition is good, but I think, especially in Book of Henry, there's a point where he just he's just doing things that are different for the sake of being different. And that's not good. Just, you know, make a good movie. Speaking of uh, keeping directors on a leash, uh, apparently um, Phil Lord and uh, Christopher Miller got fired off of uh, the Han Solo film. And honestly, the more I think about that, the more I read about it, the more okay I think I am with it because the way I see it, if, if I signed off on a script that I really liked and I had a vision in my head and I'm hiring somebody to help, you know, portray that vision and they can't help but, like, keep going off script and keep trying to do something else, I could see myself growing frustrated. Yeah, I guess their, their styles just don't match. And honestly, I think Star Wars should be a bit more, you know, planned out and you know, serious. Not I. I, I don't think a uh, an improv Star Wars film is really a good idea. Yeah, I mean these, the first ones came out in the seventies. Like these movies are gonna be here. Like it's, like this is important to us as like a collective culture. So to just kind of show up and let's see what happens. I I agree. I don't really think that's the best tactic for this kind of movie. And it sounds like they were trying to make Han Solo too much of a comedic character. And I mean, he's funny, 
but it's not just like i don't know mm-hmm. he, i think his he's got a humor very distinct to him and so i could see how they're improv and just trying to oh this is funny if a character were to say this let's have han solo say this and i get why kathleen kennedy would be very protective of han solo as a character yeah and so they brought on ron howard to finish which definitely a, a different choice uh than you know, chris lord phil miller uh phil lord and chris miller but I'm not. I think he's very hit and miss, but I think when he's on point, he makes really good movies, and he he knows how to make a good movie. That's that's for sure. Um, it's not like I'm thrilled to see what Ron Howard's going to do, but I think he'll probably turn out a good product if 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 uh, Lawrence Kasdan's script is as good as Lawrence Kasdan thinks thinks it is. Lawrence Kasdan, to me, I'm always like his because he wrote Empire and The Force Awakens, and so. When he says this is a script and this is a good script and you should stick to it, I'll be like, okay, I'm cool with that. <laughs> and then, like you said, I, there's not really my imagination can't really run wild with the Ron Howard film for me. Like I, I can't really <laughs> pick a, a style that feels like distinct to him. He, I guess it's just he has the ability to take a good script and make a really good movie out of it. Like he's a competent director, so. I think he's got the ability that if the script is good, there's no way he'll make a bad movie out of it. I think we'll, we'll at, at the very least, get a good film. Hopefully, if the script is good and Ron Howard does his magic, we'll get a great one. All right, uh, so is there anything else you want to mention before we move into the main review? Uh, I think I'm ready. All right, let's begin our review for War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds was released in 2005. It was based on the classic novel of the same name by H.G. Wells. It was directed by Steven Spielberg on a budget of $132 million and grossed $704 million. It stars Tom Cruise, Dakota Fanning, Justin Chatwin, Tim Robbins, and Miranda Otto. And a really cool fun fact, Miranda Otto's parents are played by Gene Barry and Anne Robinson, who were the two leads in the 1953 classic adaptation of War of the Worlds. Oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. And uh, it was written by Josh Friedman and David Kep, and it was shot by Spielberg's longtime cinematographer, Janusz Kamenski, who's been with Spielberg since uh, Schindler's List, and he's slated also to do his next two films. And uh, lastly, the score was composed by the one and only John Williams. I'm going to get you a brief synopsis to read, James. Ray Ferrier is a divorced and less-than-perfect father when his ex-wife drops off his teenage son Robbie and young daughter Rachel for a rare weekend visit, a strange and powerful lightning storm suddenly touches down. What follows is the extraordinary battle for the future of mankind through the eyes of one American family fighting to survive. All right, and before we discuss the film, um, are you familiar with the book or the other adaptations of of it? I've seen, like, the 1953 version once as a kid, and I remember, like, maybe the ending scene a little bit. Uh, and I've never read the novel, so this, like, this is all pretty much mostly what I know about the story. It's just this adaptation. Okay. Yeah, I've read, the, I've read the novel, and it's really good. I mean, it's, like, one of the most influential sci-fi novels. One of the first, uh, you know, books of its type. And I've seen the 1953 film once, and I do... I mean, it's obviously very dated, but I think it's a very solid film and a solid adaptation. And I think I think this one is also a very, it's weirdly, it's faithful. Like in the overall story structure is very faithful. Obviously, the the, the characters and all that is is new, but I, I think it's very interesting how this film chooses to relate to the book. And it's, and I think both in good ways and bad ways. I think like the ending, which is very close to the book, should have probably been changed. But I'll get into that later. So. What were some things that you wanted to talk about this film? Like, why did you want to bring it on the show? 
one of the things that I really liked about this movie is this is actually one of my personal um, favorite Tom Cruise performances. Yeah. Um, yeah, to me, I mean, I understand the criticism, even though I don't agree with it, that he often just plays Ethan Hunt. Um, he does it really well, and it's I usually don't complain just because it's a very entertaining character. Um, but there's something about this performance to me that just feels incredibly real like nothing about him feels cliche he's he's a person who has a lot of likable traits he has a lot of dislikable traits um the interaction he has with his son and his daughter feel incredibly real it it never feels like he's acting it to me his performance is the exact kind of performance that the movie need and that i think spielberg wanted which is in some ways, yes, it is supposed to feel like a movie, but it's really, it's meant to feel incredibly real, too. Like, the, the visual imagery, the the mass panic, you know, this is only four years after 9-11. It's, it's, it's supposed to feel very raw and like a, a, a gut punch to us as people. And so, yeah, he didn't feel like he was playing a movie hero. It, it was just... It was just a, a a regular guy living in Jersey, and there was something just so believable about it that it it just makes me love this performance. Yeah, Tom Cruise is one of my favorite actors. Well, mainly because he's always in, he always picks good films, or usually always uh, the Mummy. But <laughs> even then, he is always my favorite part in any film he's in, just because he always just goes for it, and he has such a command over his body and his movements that he always just feels really real in the moment, um, no matter what's happening. I think he's a really great match for the way Spielberg moves the camera. Because Spielberg, you know, blocks his scenes very much, you know, with the actors and and their performances in mind. And I think we do have an actor who is so in, in command of their physical performance, like Tom Cruise. It's like this beautiful little marriage they have together of just, uh, it makes a really great looking film and the one that is always visually engaging. You just want to look at what's happening because it's always really interesting. And he's kind of a jerk. Uh, you know, he's, he's like not, he's not, a, he's not like a person you would like just want to punch in the face, but he's, you know, he's just kind of snarky and selfish. Uh, and he really, he'll take care of his kids. He'll kind of make some half-hearted attempts to connect, but then he'll just, whatever, go do your thing. I don't care. And, I love the idea that Spielberg uses of, you know, a father that is completely disconnected from his children. And he obviously loves them, but he's also kind of selfish. And then he's, and and then they, they, in return, they don't really like him and they don't really trust him with good reason. And then they're forced together in this horrible situation. They have to survive. And, you know, on the journey, they kind of have to learn to, to be a family together. And I like the dynamic where, you know, the brother and sister, they trust each other, but they don't really trust him because he's, he's been, you know, kind of an absentee father. And I think it's really, I don't think it's fully played out the way it should have been, but I like that. And I think Tom Cruise really balances, you know, his inherent likability and then this just snarky, his snarky self and his uh, character. Um, and I, I really like that element. I think he's, he really um, makes this film work. Yeah. Something you said that Tom Cruise usually does is he he does always go for it. Like, whatever's on the script, that's what he's going to do. And it feels like he just has this ability to completely understand the kind of character you're asking him to play and and just become that archetype. It's 
in a lot of ways, it, this didn't really feel like you, you almost between interviews and, you know, all the movies that he does where he plays a similar character, you almost just think of Ethan Hunt and Tom Cruise as synonymous. <laughs> but this didn't feel like an Ethan an Ethan Hunt kind of character playing this kind of Jersey absentee father. Like it felt like a Jersey absentee father. There was there were really no no hints other than that trademark run. And the running scenes are amazing here. Yeah. Uh and then just to talk about um some of the rest of the cast, Justin Chatwin, he he's not like <sighs> he's not amazing. <laughs> And I think sometimes he, it feels like he's playing the stereotype of a teenager as opposed to a teenager. It's like his only knowledge of teenagers are that kind of stereotypical, like, I can do whatever I want, dad, leave me. Like, it's just, I mean, yeah, there's truth to it, but it still sometimes feels exaggerated. But what keeps the entire, like, performance from being... And negative for me is that to me, one of the most important roles that he has to play in the movie is is essentially as a father to his sister because that's a very like that's important to the the themes of family in the movie that because of having an absentee father he's almost had to become one and I think that he actually does have really good chemistry with Dakota Fanning and I think the scenes that they share together and that are very focused on them. I think he's just a better actor in. And so I think the scenes that really that he contributes the most to thematically to the movie, he's actually good in. Yeah. Um <laughs> I I I really hated his character for a large portion of screen time. Um and I don't think I can fully blame him. The the character is very badly written. Um just because well, I guess I'll start with the good. I think when he, when Justin Chatwin is playing the character, you know, as competent as, you know, like when he goes and runs to help those people up on the, the ramp of a ferry or he's, you know, as you said, when he's with his sister and trying to, trying to uh, comfort his sister, he is really good. But the film also has him as the most insufferable, um, uh, just snotty teenager. And... There is, as I said, there is a good story to be told there, you know, of the kids who are forced into this horrible situation with their father that they don't like or trust. There's a good story to be told there, but basically every time he decides to, you know, stand up to his father, it's at the worst possible spot and for the dumbest reasons. It's like, you know, the kid, the world is ending. Just suck it up for five minutes till you can get out of the danger of this gigantic robot that's trying to kill you. You don't need to have your, uh, you know, your, your meltdown right now. It's just, he doesn't always does that at the worst possible times. And for the weirdest reasons, and the way that, like, the big moment of catharsis for his character is that he wants to run up a hill to see a battle, I guess? I, I, I really don't understand the entire the entire scene where he separates from his uh from ray is like incomprehensible to me i don't know what his character wants and so it's 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 it could have been a beautiful scene because the visuals the sound design the music all of it's like coming together this crescendo but the kids actually like an utter moron and i don't and it, it spielberg i think spielberg thinks that this kid has a really good point and we should sympathize with him 
but the audience is just like, I, I don't know what I'm watching. Why is this kid such a moron? Shut up and listen to your father kind of thing. <laughs> and and it's just his character is just really, really irritating after a while. And he just gets worse and worse as the film goes. Yeah, they're like the two scenes that really come to mind is that one. And then the, the scene is the army convoy is moving on and he's trying to like have them take him with him. And it, it's weird because it almost feels like they're trying to do like two of the of the young adult kind of things, which is rebel against the father and I'm going to go and join the military. Like it's, it felt like was, was joining the military something that he genuinely wanted to do, or was it just part of acting out and rebelling against his father and what he was wanting to do? And because before like the first 20 minutes, it doesn't really feel like, 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 Oh, this is the kind of kid I could see who would like, definitely leave to try to join in and fight maybe he is yeah he, and, he doesn't seem like the military type he wouldn't last yeah. long he he seems like the type that might fancy himself a military type but isn't at all um but honestly i'm more okay with that first scene maybe that's something he would do right there he's tired of being with his dad he wants to be he wants to be seen as a man he didn't his his young adult kind of i like naive idea of like we can take this fight to them like maybe that could get a hold of him in that moment sort of but it just he comes out of nowhere and all of a sudden he's just like screaming this is he has to go with these soldiers like where did this come from i don't know like i i this none of this was set up before and now all of a sudden the thing you want to do most in the world is go with these soldiers and it wasn't it just comes out of nowhere and so the reason that I think it kind of works a little bit more in that scene is that whenever he's yelling, he's yelling, he starts off yelling about how he needs to go with them and how he wants to, you know, take the fight to the aliens and stuff. But then it ends up in just him yelling to his yelling at his dad about not being there as a father. And so that's why I think there might be a little bit of credibility in the idea that while there is some of that kind of young teenager slash young adult desire to go off and join the military and be brave and join this fight a lot of it does stem with this just dislike of his father and not trusting him and and, and rebelling you know like he starts off saying no i have to do this and then he, he says you know you can't like this isn't something that you need to do it's not good for your sister it ends up boiling down to like what do you know you weren't there like it did feel more of a way to just act out against his father and maybe Maybe a teenager would do that in the worst moment. Teenagers are obnoxious. It doesn't help that he looks like a 25-year-old, but yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but with, with the other scene, that is that is the scene that does annoy me the most, though, on the hill, where it's, I guess, he. it's weird because I, I do agree with you where it's like, I think we're meant to be like, yeah, Tom Cruise, just let him go. Just let him be him. And it's like, no, this... He's trying to reestablish a relationship with his son, and it, it happens to have the worst timing ever, but he's still trying to be a good father, and now the his son's trying to run off into, like, this alien horde, and you're supposed to be like, just let him do it, Dad. It's, it is a little bit frustrating, especially it, more so given the fact that, like, I just don't buy into the reasons, at least not to the point to like, not to the point to where I think anything that happening in that scene is justified. So, I definitely most of my frustrations with the movie revolve around his character. Mm -hmm. And uh, back to actually another positive character, uh, D Dakota Fanning is really good in this movie. Again, 
I really don't like her as a character. I think she's a bit too old to be the way she's at. Like she acts like a, like a character who is maybe like five or eight years old or something, but she she looks like she's about ten or ten or eleven. And I think they say she's ten in the movie. Yeah, it's just. I think she she's a bit too old for how she's acting. She's is kind of a uh, like a child who's like constantly melting down and going into panics and tantrums, and it only works because Dakota Fanning is so good. She there is a lot asked of her, you know, just you know, to be terrified or, or you know be really emotional, and she she does it all very well. And I think her performance is like mesmerizing. And I think she she makes a really what could have been such an annoying and unlikable character at least work pretty well. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, being ten, if it were a regular situation, it would be overboard. I think most of it, I feel like, is actually pretty believable. Um, I mean, I've seen, I've got loads of cousins and nieces and nephews and things, <laughs> and I wouldn't put it past one of the ten year olds to do something like this in a far less severe uh, um situation but i think she she acts like a like this 10 year old that thinks very highly of herself for the first 20 minutes and then honestly i'm gonna be screaming in the back seat if that's going on so i can't put too much blame on her <laughs> but i i definitely agree her performance is so good i think she was one of the best child actors it's just i i think um, it was really smart to include this this child in the movie as like a a main character, um, because she's essentially playing the role of like this this passive participant, this person who's just kind of reacting to everything going on. She's not deciding anything, and to have that character, that character whose sole role in the movie is just to react to the world, having it be a child, I think actually is really effective for like the the tone of the movie the the fact that this is like a regular world like our world that this is happening to and there are kids here and we're seeing all this like surreal destruction around to see that may like in a lot of ways through the eyes of a kid i think works really well for the movie and i think the best thing that i can say for her is is exactly what i said for tom cruise where it's it almost doesn't feel like a performance it's more of just watching a person like when she's in the back seat and Tom Cruise is arguing with the the guy telling him to get out of the car. Um, not the scene where they're they're being hijacked, but it's right at the very beginning. And he's like, "You can't you can't take this van." And he, and the, he opens the door to talk to him. And Tom Cruise says, "If you don't get in here, you're gonna die." And she's just in the background or you know the back seat, going like, "What's going on? What's ha- like what's happening? Why are we yelling?" And she's just she starts to cry her eyes out. It feels so real, and like her relationship with her father and like constantly having her close her eyes and the way she just gets kind of frozen up and is just stricken with fear as to what's going on and confusion. It never feels like a performance. It's, it's this real family with real behaving the way real people do to all of this crazy destruction. Yeah. She brings a really good dynamic, uh, like between, you know, Robbie and uh, Ray, you know, to where they both like, or at least, Robbie despises Ray, and Ray is kind of disgusted with his son. But it's they, they both have to stay together because of Rachel. They have to take care of her, and and I think she brings out 
like the best father in Ray, you know, where he over the film where he has to you know, learn to kind of when he when he can focus on her and try to he's trying, you know, to protect her and her innocence, you know, he doesn't want her to see how horrible this world is like the scene where she comes on the river of dead and he just walks up and just covers her eyes and hugs her. I mean, you, it, it, her character, you know, really forces him to come to stop being so self-centered and really, you know, be selfless for his children. And I, I, I think her character is a, is like one of the better parts of the film, just in how, especially in how it affects the other characters around her. Yeah. And that was, that was mainly, obviously it's a really small cast and I'll talk about Tim Robbins, I guess later. Um, and Miranda Otto's, I mean, she's good, but she's not really in it long enough to warrant anything, any sort of extended dialogue. You know, she was actually pregnant. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that was real. And then I guess we probably should talk about, uh, Steven Spielberg sometime in here. It seems a little fitting. Uh, yeah, this guy, he's a good filmmaker. And even if he's working with, I think a middling script, he can sell it for all it's worth. Um, and I think the first half of this film is pretty much perfect in my opinion. And obviously the cast is great, but I think a lot of that is due to him and how he directs this movie. Uh, one, one element that I think was really good that is also kind of from the book is that all this film is entirely focused on the perspective of these three characters or actually, actually, it's focused on Tom Cruise's perspective, and we never leave. We never leave him. Like we only we only know what he knows. There's no no scenes where it cuts away to this, you know, uh, uh, generic military boardroom as they're deciding who are these guys. You know, we're getting this like exposition. It's none of that. It's just we are on the ground. We only know what he knows. Like, you know, is it the terrorists? And it's just the way he directs that in the which like fear and uncertainty and panic is portrayed is feels very real. Like this, this is what, what it, this is what it would be like to be on the ground in the middle of an alien invasion. And one way that works really well is in the scenes of mass destruction. Uh, there are, there are no God, like God's eye shots where we just zoom over a city as, as things are being destroyed and buildings are disintegrating. All we ever see is what they would see. So we see the destruction. There's like these really cool shots of a Tom Cruise running and like whole buildings just disintegrating behind him. But it never get, we never get desensitized to it like we do in like a Roland Emmerich film where it's just so much destruction we don't care. In this film, it's all, every time we see destruction, it poses a direct danger to the person we care about because <laughs> we only see it if he sees it. If he can see it, he's way too close to it. And so it, 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 we, a, whenever this something big is happening, there's always an immediate sense of danger and urgency and just confusion. And uh, Spielberg does such a fantastic job, especially in long takes where he just like we're just following Tom Cruise as he's running through the city and these aliens are behind him and people are just being blown up around him. It's, it's, it's literally it's, it is terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I can agree with most people that there's obviously there's a big quality difference between the first and second half of this movie. So to just focus on the first half right now, I, I had it in my notes as well. Like, there's pretty much nothing wrong with the first half. It's essentially perfection in my my opinion. It's something that you mentioned when we were talking about Tom Cruise's performance. Is that how it works really well with Spielberg as a director? And what he does with this movie that to me is so impressive is in one is in 
singular shots. I mean, in his long takes, but just like w- without any sort of breaks, he's able to have the cam- He's able to have what's on screen, both huge and epic and terrifying, and still incredibly close to the character. Like there are shots that almost feel like they're close-ups of Tom Cruise. You know, I mean, his, his, the entire screen isn't his face, but he's the, the camera is very much focused on him and he takes up a good portion of the screen. But it's still what's happening is huge and epic and crazy. And he's he's managed to do all of that in just these long takes of Tom Cruise running around the camera. Like you said, it never pulls back to bird's eye view. It's It never like focuses on him and then turns over and zooms in on all this other crazy stuff. It stays solely on him. And yet we're getting clear depictions of all the destruction and chaos that's going on and by choosing to focus on just Cruz's um, perception of everything that's going on and sticking close to him like physically having the camera stick close to him it makes the events way more terrifying Uh, and that's honestly that's how I describe like the moments of seeing the tripods is just it's terrifying Uh, whenever it first rises up and I mean, I guess, first of all, I'm kind of a sucker for, like, disaster movies, mainly ones that involve, like, just mass panic. Just seeing people um, react collectively to just insane amounts of destruction. For whatever reason, it's super entertaining to me. Like, um, mainly because it it, it allows for, like, a, a very focused kind of tone. And I think for... For this movie, Spielberg being the amazing filmmaker he is, is just really able to to sell the tone of this movie, which is like, yes, it's alien destruction. We've seen that a hundred times before, but this isn't like that. This isn't just mind-numbing action, blockbuster summer kind of action. Like, this is scary. Like, these aliens arriving are terrifying because, you know, what, what I something else that I love that he that I love that he did is like the first 20 minutes of it is, you know, him interacting with his daughter and with his son and then the storm comes and it's like him speaking with his neighbors about it and they're all reacting and he's giving a very like real reaction where he's like hey you want to see something cool and then he starts to get freaked out by the lightning (laughs) and then they go in and it all like this movie starts off feeling so real so like cemented in our world that when it gets crazy it just feels so much scarier because it feels like it's taking place in such familiar territory yeah, the, the reactions to the lightning feels real. Like that, yeah, this is kind of cool. They're like, "Oh wait, no, this is actually kind of scary." Let's go inside real quick. And I love how like, he turns, like trips over the chairs, and then goes under the table with his daughter. Um, yeah, it, it just and how it builds um, from there. You know, everybody's you know gathered around. Oh, this really cool crater, and then you know, oh no, the giant monster. And then it just all hell breaks loose. I think just the way it's built is so absorbing and also the i think john williams score is really good but also when he chooses not to score there are a lot of places in this film that have no music especially like in the sequences of tension and i think it works so well especially that that beginning sequence like the entire lightning storm and then when they're all standing around the uh the, the crater there's like almost no music and it just makes it feel so eerie it just it, it ratchets up the, the dread and then the the aliens themselves are really scary like that uh the death beam whatever it is uh where it just vaporizes people that's terrifying and it it scarred me as a kid yeah and it's really visually just really interesting like it's 
It's not just these laser beams like we've seen countless times. And by, you know, disintegrating just like the organic material, but leaving behind the clothing, like that to me is such a smart decision because there's some, the way this movie shoots the destruction and then what follows the destruction and just the clothes, like clothes falling down. Every article of clothing that you see falling down means one person dead. It's so eerie and just like gut-wrenching to see like, because the world he's like established that this is a very real feeling world it feels like this you know everyone's asking like is it terrorists what's going on like it it feels like this was a this was an attack and these are real people who are victims of this insane invasion yeah and there's something just so transgressive about what it does to people just it vaporizes them and the people and then when tom cruise gets home he's covered in people particles it's 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 really and you see, like, where he just like goes into a panic, just trying to clean himself off of all this, just the people that were blown up around him. It's really, really dark. Yeah, it, it's it is. I think it's it's weird. I mean, I guess just to talk about the ending, just for a tad bit. I think the fact how dark this movie was is why I'm more okay with the more happy ending because it's like, man, give me a little <laughs> bit of relief. But um, what I think is interesting is so this what you were mentioning with the fact like how the way the scene builds. You know, it starts, everybody's interesting, and then it slowly escalates and escalates and escalates. It's almost, it's a way to describe that scene, and almost, it's kind of a way to describe the entire first half of the movie, where it's the, you know, the discovery of it, and then that first attack, which is just really great, the way, like, it's just cutting off the tops of all of these buildings, Um, and then that shot of him running away, and the freeway behind him just goes up in the air, and all these cars just get launched into the sky and start falling down. It's so scary looking. Um, and then the movie doesn't really relent after that. Uh, I think there are multiple scenes that I just want to specifically point out, um, which is, you know, obviously this first scene, the discovery. Um, but then the the drive out of the city, that's almost like, that's such a, a really cool little scene itself, the way like all the characters discussing, and then the camera just just does a quick pull out of the car, and you see like all of the all of the other cars and destruction that they're swerving through, and then it kind of turns around and it zooms in into the other window, and it just kind of switches characters that way, just pulling out of this confined space out into this huge chaotic scene, and then back into this confined car. It's a really cool scene, um, and then like the basement scene and then coming out of the base there's such real terror like i've been uh in a couple of storms and it's you know whenever whenever it gets to the point where you think okay this might actually be something serious and you know everybody gets huddled together in a singular room this felt like that like just nobody really knows what's going on we're all just getting together and we're there's nothing we can do all we can do is sit and wait and hope and pray for the best um and that scene yeah. really captured that kind of terror yeah, I love how the first half of the film is structured, whereas, you know, the the incident is first interesting, then it's utterly terrifying. You know, they escape, and they're trying to find a place, you know, they find a place of rest, but you know, the danger kind of keeps catching up with them. Like they get, they, they're all, there's, like, there's always, after the danger, there's a moment, you know, where they think they're safe, but the danger just keeps on coming. It's very much like the book, you know, where it's, you know, it's about characters who are, who, who who don't know what's going on? There's a sense of confusion covering the entire film, and they're just trying to survive. But they just keep on, no matter where they go, 
the 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 fear just always catches up with him. It's really, it's just it just gets under your skin after a while. It's really well done. Yeah, and uh, and something that I I like a lot about that uh the basement scene, and then when they get out and he sees all the destruction, is something that Spielberg doesn't do that you you know applauded him for was that we never cut to anything external from uh ray it's when there's never that base the military base there's never like that news reporter that's off in the distance We've, he finds a way to relay that information to the audience by way of relaying it to ray and that that scene where he sees the the footage we get to like visibly see them causing terror to other cities and the fact that this is a global thing with without coming at the expense of completely cutting away to um to something else that's kind of removed from uh from ray and that shot of the footage of like 20 of them just marching on the city and the terror that you see in ray's eyes like it it feels so real by by not having like this big aerial shot by just having this footage of these 20 machines marching be actual camera footage it continues this feeling of like this is all very real and grounded yeah, um, I, I, I have some issues with that scene just because it seems like very convenient exposition. Uh, like, why would there be a reporter, you know, right there where they are with, with the exact footage of of the aliens inserting themselves? I think it's exposition we didn't need, but it, I, I, I like how it, you know it does give him a sense of you know this is global and how scary that is, though. Yeah, it, I mean, there's definitely no denying it. It is kind of convenient that they're. Like the only people waiting out there is this news team, but I think it it kind of works in that, you know, she asks him, "Are you a survivor of the plane crash?" And he says, "No." He's like, "Oh man, that would have made a great story." Like the idea that, you know, they're they think that the the aliens have mostly moved on and they're there to to maybe find survivors or you know they're there at the scene of the plane crash to try to get a better idea of what's going on locally, um, and then I guess if they've been coordinating with other you know other cities and stuff i don't think it's beyond their own believability that they might have some tapes of of what's going on elsewhere and i mean it's it's acceptable convenience given that it's a movie in mm-hmm. my opinion yeah it's not a huge complaint but it's just it's the one place where we kind of break his pov and it feels just kind of yeah okay whatever but even more in the direction i think spielberg directs the crowd scenes very well you know it just just how he sh- visualizes panic uh just like when when the when they're like in the car driving through the crowd and it, it just slowly escalates first it's like people knocking on the windows asking nicely can we hey can you can we get in there with you and then it just slowly gets worse and worse and worse till people are just climbing on the windows like trying to tear the windshield out with their bare hands and it's it, it just is scary it shows like how scary scared people can be um same the same thing at the, the scene with the fairy like everyone's, you know, walking nicely. There's no panic. We're all, you know, there's plenty of time to get on the ferry. And then as soon as the thing comes over the hill, everything just like goes crazy. Um, and he 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 directs that so well. As you feel like you are in the middle of this crowd of terrified people. Um, and just um, one thing I did want to mention is just how he moves his camera around like in single takes He'll show like multiple elements within a, within each scene, and there's always something interesting in the in the framing and composition. Like the scene outside the car, 
after um they're the people pull him out of the car and they're all in this big scrabble then uh ray pulls out his gun it, it, you know he he fires his gun off and then he, the camera goes around to the entire crowd everyone's frozen then it comes back to ray's face and you see he's kind of frozen and then it like comes around his head and you see the gun it's just a really beautifully uh staged little scene and the whole film is like that there's always something interesting going on with the camera even if you don't like what's happening there's it's always cool to look at yeah he finds a way to just do really cool things with the camera and really cool angles and everything and move it in interesting ways without ever compromising the idea that it feels like like we're on the ground with everyone else and we're we're there like he's filming it like a movie but it never really feels like a movie uh in a lot of ways yeah it never goes the it never goes the shaky cam uh you know found footage style and which is how a lot of uh i think a lot of filmmakers would have gone that direction for this kind of movie you know but he doesn't need to he, he's a pro he knows you can you can get this feeling just by doing good camera work and good acting yeah uh and then just to continue talking about the first half for just a little bit more, just a last the last couple scenes that I wanted to mention that I I think go together with everything that we've already said to kind of make me love this movie in spite of some problems I have later. Um, you had already mentioned it, like the the scene where she goes off because she has to use the restroom and she sees the first body in the river, and then all of a sudden it's just this, the river is full of these floating corpses. Scenes like that every time we we get a moment of relief like you said like this movie and the book the way they are is the danger continues to find a way to be present there and um and that scene to me just the imagery of this river of bodies is just so creepy to me um and then the last one that that you had already mentioned which is might be my favorite scene, at least the scene that like just affects me the most, is the fairy scene. Um, as as we get there, and it starts off, and like like we've said before, it feels very familiar. You know, they, they have these this soothing music on the loudspeakers, and this group group of crowded people trying to stay calm, and it feels especially now that you know, unfortunately, the world we live in, there's consistent, you know. If it's not terror, it's just something is always going on. You know, the the building that had just caught fire and nearly burnt down recently. We're we're always because we're such a connected world. We're always seeing some sort of disaster on film, and we see the way people react in big groups and stuff. And and so to see this and to see it feel so real makes the beginning of the scene feel haunting because it makes it it makes everything that came before feel feel more real like the this is the consequence of this crazy alien invasion and then I, I i haven't talked about the tripods a whole lot yet but to me the tripods are just so scary mm-hmm. the shot of whenever dakota fanning sees it uh and then slowly everyone else sees it of just it standing on the ridge overlooking everybody else like we've at this point they have this reputation of just completely and utterly destroying everything and so we see this one standing on this hill overlooking this group of people trying to escape and that horn that it blows it's it's so creepy you know a lot of like movie villains and monsters they'll have their own theme music that plays but it's like we don't need music to play as this approaches to let us know like we don't you know spielberg's use the 
themes like that before, obviously with Jaws, but here it's like they come with their own distinct sound that announces their presence. And so just that shot of it overlooking everything else and making this noise that freaks everyone out and causing what was controlled chaos into absolute uncontrolled madness and chaos is such a, an intense and well-executed scene. Yeah, it's an image like that is also from the book, you know, where one of these uh, tripods shows up you're dead. <laughs> if you can see one of these things, chances are you're going to die. It's, it's like so many other alien invasion films are action adventure movies where, you know, they, they find a way to fight back. There's always a weakness. There's always a way to hide. This one is just, no, your only hope is to get as far away as possible. There is nothing you can do. It just, it, it hammers at just how small humans can be or would be in this situation. And, and, I think you know, as an as an adaptation, that is what I think a, a film should do when adapting a book. It, it doesn't have to be you know faithful to the story. It needs to capture that spirit, whatever the book was a, was actually about. Because you know a book isn't really necessarily about its story, but if it can capture that feeling, and I think this this film really does that. It just it it's just the sense of all consuming dread whenever these this evil shows up. It's it's just unstoppable. Yeah, and I, I, I'm so glad that it was Spielberg who ended up directing it because I feel like we've seen a lot of different directors try to capture that feeling, like oh, like the bad guys are here, this this is trouble. They're, but it's it comes across very movie like, like we've been saying with this, like when they show up, it's just this, it's it's this they they're portrayed as this unstoppable force. And it's scary. These people feel real. The situation feels real. The tension, the mood is all there. And it just, man, like like I've been saying, I just think everything, the way the, the pacing and the escalation and the actual camera work and filmmaking, everything about the first half of this movie is almost above reproach, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I guess getting into some of the things that I didn't care for, Justin Chatwin's character is a whole problem on its own, but... I think my biggest problem with this film is that I, even though I appreciate the ways in which it is, it is faithful to the book. I think it's, it's, it's faithfulness to the book and the book's story that is ultimately this downfall. In the book, you know, it, it, it's like, it's a very steep escalation, you know, of, you know, first, the, the first, uh, cylinder lands and then the monsters are coming out and then he he keeps the main character just keeps running from area to area and the monsters keep catching up until they pass him over and he's just hiding in a basement and it and like you, you see the monster he, he he kind of watches the monsters on their own turf now and then you know after that it's the slow where everything just starts winding down and, you, and then the monsters start disappearing it works that that type of storytelling works really well in a book for a film, well, first off, the whole I don't really care for the entire episode in the basement. It, it's really random. They just they just find Tim Robbins in a field with a shotgun, and now they're they're in his house, and he's crazy for some reason. And they, they, I think the film just kind of grinds to a halt. There are two sequences that I really like in the basement, but as a whole, that whole segment of the film just feels weird and, and off, and just doesn't it 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 really uh. It changes the entire tone of the film and makes it a little boring, in my opinion. And then after that, even after after they leave the basement, the film is essentially over. 
it and well i i like that in a book i don't i a film needs to have something to build to you know or or i think it could have gone this way it could have had this very anticlimactic ending if it at least had been you know a really in-depth character drama you know to where the actual drama is happening inside these characters and it tries to do that but i don't think it does enough with the characters you know to justify the lack of outside plot developments it just when it ends it ends like the book you know the, the germs kill all the bad guys and then it's done and you know, for how great the build-up was it just i know it's supposed to feel anticlimactic but it just feels it just feels unsatisfying in a film so for me there are i'm glad that they stuck with the way it goes in the book i just I wish that it was handled just may, maybe a little bit differently. Like, I mean, Tim Robbins is a great actor. And it's that's what I had a lot more to say on the first half, not just because I like the first half more, but I just I can pinpoint my thoughts more in the first half. Whereas here, I'm not even sure what I'm wanting to change. Definitely, you know, more character drama, more focus on what's going on within these characters and what they're thinking. And Tim Robbins never got enough time to develop his character to to make that his ending scene really feel like the way it's supposed to. I mean, it's just such an extreme jump. Like, oh, we just met you. Oh, now I'm going to kill you, even though you haven't really been a danger to me. You haven't really threatened me or my, my kid, but I'm just going to kill you because you're, you're a little bit yeah, noisy. That's, okay, so that is, that. I guess that is something that I can definitely say I, I thought about that I had here. It was that, to me, the idea... Of you, know, I read an article after watching the movie, and it said a lot of things that I liked. And the way it described this scene, it's like, I see how you got this, like how this was your take from it. And it could have been mine if it was, oddly enough, you know, people don't like this scene because they feel like it, it starts to drag. I almost wish it went maybe a little bit longer and just had less like Jurassic Park style hiding from the Velociraptor slash this probe thing that's going around. But that's so and cool. I mean, it's it's really cool, but it also it begins to more feel like a a movie, and it's focusing more on like the theatrics of what's going on and less on these characters. And I think it would have been nice to not have that happen, or at least not happen as long, because the whole point up until this movie has been run away from something escalation and then a slight reprieve, and then something happens and then a slight reprieve. It would have been nice to have a little bit longer to just live in the consequences of what's happening, and I think that Tim Robbins' character could have been a great way, and they kind of did it, but I think it, it would have been a, a they could have done better with having having this character be and his addition be the time for the movie to really stop and focus. On where these characters are at now, we we know where Tom Cruise stood with his daughter at the beginning of this movie. Let's 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 try to develop this a little bit more. See how he interacts with someone else and what their take on what's going on is a little bit more. And I I think the reason that would be important is because one of the things that this article that I talked about pointed out was that something interesting that the movie does and that the book I'm sure does more of is it looks at the idea of of human selfishness that goes beyond just yourself, like selfishness for your family. Um, you know, taking this car 
that, you know, maybe you could fit more people back there. But, you know, if you do that, then you're going to cause this whole scene and a bunch of people are going to force themselves in. So you give a ride to no one else and you keep going on. And then, I mean, he kind of tried to help his friends. But instead of running over there and trying to reach up like his son did, it's he, he clutches his daughter tightly and kind of backs away from the edge. And then I think this would have been the great scene to really kind of hammer that kind of idea home of 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 human willingness to be selfish for the sake of of those closest to us but then to just almost completely cut off others around us it it you could have really thought like is what he did right is what he did wrong if there felt like a more immediate threat if we knew more about this guy he was stuck down here with what is what's the harm he's really doing because like you said it feels like this guy is making too much noise i'm gonna go beat him with a shovel like if they allowed that scene and the scenes before it to play out longer to where i don't know it felt more of like like okay i i'm i have to do this for my daughter not even trying to morally justify it but i have to do this and it gives the it gives the hints but you know like the character beats they they feel it feels like the the director and writer are assuming we have more information than we were actually given it feels like we got to fill in a bunch of blanks to get the characters to where they are right now rather than the film having brought us there uh naturally and so and yeah i i have been thinking a lot you know on this show whenever i criticize a film's plot i try i make i try to make a point to you know try and fix it or at least say what i would have done differently and with this one, I really don't know because, again, I think the book story is inherently uncinematic in how it wraps itself up. And it's great, but it's not cinematic. And like, as you said, the only way I can see to salvage the story as is would be to make it a, char- a, compl- a deep character drama. It feels like the first two-thirds of this film knew exactly where they were going and what this film was about. And then once it reaches the last third, it just kind of wanders just trying to find a single thread to latch onto. It never really does. I definitely want to try to salvage it the way it stands currently because there is something that I do actually really like about the um, the uncinematic ending and the feeling of anti-climax. It's... I I like that, and I think it actually kind of works well with how how things ramped up earlier, like just the tension and then just kind of dying out. All of this instant dread, this dread, we're literally going to die. Wait, they're like they literally just tipped over. Like there's something about that that I like, and I like I, I like having them stop for extended moments with someone who's experienced as, as well. Um, I just. I just don't know what I would change. I would I would probably just extend the scenes, like the whole basement scene, and have there be a lot more dialogue. But then that would probably come at the cost of pacing. So, yeah, uh, like it's not that I want a big action climax, but a film needs to have an emotional climax, and I don't I don't think this film has one. Yeah, and I think it, I think the movie thinks it does, because I can see where it is with the very ending, but it's almost tacked on like the, the emotional climax is a part of this, uh, of the movie's actual resolution. And it's also just a very short resolution. And 
And given that I, it also revolves a lot around the sun and a lot of the sun stuff didn't work for me before. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess there's a lot of tweaking with different elements that were like, I, I could keep the same structure and everything that happened mostly the same, but with a little bit tweaking here and there, keep everything the same, but just have it come together maybe a little bit differently. Yeah. About the ending. Um, you know, it's, it's a happy Spielberg ending, but I think it would have been better if the sun wasn't there. You know, it could still be a happy, hopeful ending. You know, they survived, but the sun's got to pay for his stupidity. He ran off into a fireball. <laughs> we literally see the entire valley go up in flames, and then the and then the aliens overrun it. There's no way. Nothing in the film suggests there's any possibility of him being alive. It's just having him alive at the end to have a happy ending feels cheap. So again, just referring to this article, I should all probably mention the name of it. I think it's like. Uh, it's an article called like in defense of war of the worlds from movies, death or birth movies, death.com. Um, and something he mentioned in it, cause this was definitely my biggest complaint is that like, I would be, I mean, I, I know obviously in real life, this wouldn't end up being the case, but just as a viewer, it's like, I just went on this harrowing journey with Tom Cruise, this man who was smart and ran away from the danger and ended up going through all this crap. And I show up to find you, this idiot who ran towards the fire, and you're just here chilling out at the house? Like, that's obnoxious. I should have ran with you into the fire. Um, <laughs> and so that was definitely my complaint. And there's, it's definitely still a complaint because I, I think it, the, the way it was handled was pretty clumsy. But this article's justification of it was that um, Tom Cruise's biggest like flaws in terms of a parent was that his son was was growing up and he's in the age where he's becoming a man and he's he's still treating him more like a like a an actual child and he's not trying to help him make the transition into adulthood and his problem with his daughter is that like he's almost I mean he's making attempts at being a father but in a lot of ways he's also relying on Robbie to like be a father to her and he's just like giving this kind of halfway attempt at, at being a father to her and so in that scene he's kind of able to address both issues where he's he's able to let his son make steps into being a man and make a decision for himself and follow through on that while also at the same time doing that because he's going to keep his daughter from this other family and act and finally act as an actual father to her like the some the person who's going to take at this point full responsibility for her and and that killing the son off because of that decision is it, it almost feels like punishing ray for making the right decision and so it really it's like do, are, are, do you want to punish robbie for his stupid de decisions which comes at the also like which also comes at the cost of punishing ray for making the right decision <laughs> I could see that if Robbie made the right decision, but the, the, and see that that's why the complaint's still there for me. Yes, as much as I believe fathers eventually need to allow their children to grow up, dads are there to tell you not to run toward giant explosions. That's why we have dads. So in that situation, Ray was right, Robbie was wrong, and I understand that they were trying to go for him this symbolic thing of him allowing his son to grow up, except for he's not. So yeah, I, I understand that. It just and if the film had some way shown 
hadn't been so clumsy in his characterization of Robbie. I think that could have been good, great, but instead it's just like, wait, what? And so now I I think like the real question that we have now is, you know, we as an audience, I feel like have come to terms with the fact that like, yeah, this is a stupid decision that Robbie is making. So we really do have to decide what we want more to to see to see Robbie punished or to see Ray yes. punished because e- e- even <laughs> <laughs> Unf- just completely yes but I still even though I think Robbie's decision was stupid I still can't fault Ray's choice like he pretty much had to decide am I going to leave my daughter to these strangers you know by waiting here and trying to physically grab my son and pull him back and which is going to take effort or do i say fine whatever make this decision for yourself but i have to be a father for my daughter and between those decisions i think he did end up making the right one he let his stupid son be stupid for the sake of being a father to his younger daughter who has even more of a right i would say to this father figure at the moment and so it's the movie has been so dark so to see ray who's by the end of the movie, made big strides as far as being a father, and as who seems to be more comfortable with taking on this kind of responsibility to punish him by killing his son. It does feel like I mean I, I think his son ought to pay for his really stupid mistakes, and it makes sense that he would be. But I'm okay with him getting to live through his stupid decision making if it comes at the cost of Ray still having a son that he can at least try to create a relationship for. Or with yeah, as I said, I think that scene is an incredible scene and in how it's set up and it sets up you know the choice Ray has to make. Except for I don't understand what they're fighting about in the first place. <laughs> so yeah, it's it, it has it's directed like exactly how that scene should have been if we knew what was going on. <laughs> so it's it's, it's kind of, I am kind of conflicted. It's not that I want an unhappy ending, but. It, the logic of the film doesn't support the happy ending we get. But I think lastly, before we do kind of close out, um, I I like the imagery of like the derelict ships though, like that one as they're they're all walking in a like the the last shot as the the mass of people are all walking through, and you just see these these tripods that have been these symbols of absolute destruction these unstoppable forces and it's just kind of leaning against this building destroyed and this other one's getting annoyed by these birds that are flying around it that that imagery that it wasn't even us that beat them um it it i think it, it's cool just in terms of the idea of it but i also just think visually it looks cool like this huge background of these giant mach- machines of death just kind of laying against these buildings yeah, it's all the more effective because of how terrifying and unstoppable they've been in the past. Yeah, I, I do like, you know, this whole book and film is kind of this trying to bring down, you know, man's hubris by saying like, yeah, you think you're so tough. But then if if this if this species that is only like marginally scientifically more advanced than us could come in and just destroy all that we've built in, in days. And then also, you know, you aliens, do you think you're so tough? Or we're gonna kill you with these little microscopic germs, and you won't even know what hit you, kind of thing. And I, I, I yeah, I, I think that's really that is really smart and effective. 
So those are most of my thoughts on like the actual movie. But one last thing that I did want to make sure we mentioned, um, at least more in depth than we have, is Williams' score. I mean, obviously John Williams is just a fantastic composer. Um, but here, it's like he's a lot of the time he scores like specific themes, and he may have in this one. I didn't catch it, but I what what I liked is that he was smart enough to do like something you had said, which is know when to not have music, know when to just allow the audience to live in the tension. Um, but then whenever he does use it, he uses it to great effect. He ends up upping the tension. There are moments in this where it's just the music is like driving us forward um, at this unrelenting pace, and it's like putting an exclamation point on all of the destruction and chaos around it's it's used to really really good effect i think and i think that's a testament to william's ability to where he's not just that guy who scored all the childhood themes that we still hum he's he can still score a movie and and really make it effective for the movie's sake not just for this iconic theme which even i'm kind of guilty of thinking of him as sometimes just this guy who who can create a singular theme and not really score a full movie when I think that this movie was really scored well start to finish. Yeah, it seems like it's cool online to say, oh, oh Williams is a great theme guy, but he, he doesn't get the quiet moments. And I, I don't agree with that at all. I think his score is, is, like, is just what the film needs to be, especially in recent years. He's, I think he's, he's just a fantastic composer all around. All right, I'm... Um, so is there anything else you wanted to mention before we move into our final thoughts? I think I'm about done here. Yeah, I think I'm ready. All right. I'll start. Um, I guess I said, I really enjoy this film. In spite of the problems I have with it, I think it's, it's, it's very watchable, especially the first half. I, you know, I always forget, like, why didn't I like this film the last time? This is amazing. Just because of how well it's put together, um, the way it just captures fear and terror and, you know, how humans react to this danger and, you know, how cruel and terrifying we can be even as we're, we're being hunted. Uh, all of that is just really well portrayed. Spielberg's direction is phenomenal. Even the scenes that I don't like, I, can, I will acknowledge they're incredible scenes just because they're everything visually about this film is stunning. Uh, Tom Cruise, I kind of wish he worked with Spielberg more between this and Minority Report. Uh, I think he's a great match for him. Both they both have this great sense of energy that that helps the films move that helps the films just you know move in a really uh, gripping way. Um, I just think it's a very uh, unique and uh, uh, compelling uh, portrait of you know of an apocalypse. And even though it does feel like the last half is kind of a film in search of a story, and it just kind of ends in a way that I don't I don't find terribly satisfying. I still probably want to see it again eventually just because as of an experience, it, it's pretty unmatched. Yeah, so I actually had a very similar thought at the beginning where I, I was watching it 15 minutes in and I was thinking like, wait, why did Gabe not like this? Am I stupid for liking this? This seems amazing. <laughs> and then, yeah, I, then the second half happens and problems do arise. But the last thing from that article that I'll mention, something that he said that I do agree with is the reason that I, I'm okay with saying that I love the movie is because a lot of the mistakes that happen in the second half of this movie, they happen in a lot of movies all the time. And I, I think the the biggest reason that 
it's so obvious is just because of how good the first half is. Like if if the first half was more similar to the second half, I think we'd be like that. I mean, it's a fine movie, whatever. It's not great, but the first half to me is so great that it just points out the the flaws of the second half a lot more. But I'm okay with saying I still love it because nothing that happens in the second half takes away from how good everything before it was. And I'm already invested enough in the movie to this point to where I'm I'm okay with going with some of this stuff because you've already earned my attention. And so I I don't think it is a great movie. I think it definitely could have been a great movie and I think had the second you know had the last part followed through with the first part it would absolutely be called the great movie but it gets enough things right and it hits enough notes that I personally want to see in a movie to where I I still just really love it yeah I get that like this is not a film that I would begrudge someone liking it's got enough true greatness in it to make up to at least allow me someone to overlook its flaws I I definitely get that so that was our review for our War of the Worlds. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I'd like to ask you again to please go and rate and review us on iTunes. Um, and if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. Feel free to comment with any films that uh, you think are underrated. And if you want to find older episodes, you can uh, go to our website, underratedpodcast.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter and see what we're up to there. We are underrated underscore pod. All right, uh, so next week uh, to celebrate the release of uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, we will be reviewing the first Thor. Um, I considered Incredible Hulk, but I decided to push it back because I don't really feel like fighting you right now. But rest assured, we will talk about that movie in future. Oh, gosh. I will talk about why Thor is a great little gem all day long, but you're really going to have to beat me to get me to say something positive about Incredible Hulk. (laughs) So... Until next week when we tackle another Marvel movie, we will see you next time. See ya. Why did you bring us back? You realize what you've done, what you've started? I was protecting my home. You cannot need to protect your friends. How can you hope to protect the kingdom? Get into the healing room. No! There won't be a kingdom to protect if you're afraid to act. The Jotuns must learn to fear me, just as they once feared you. That's pride and vanity talking, not leadership. You've forgotten everything I taught you. But a warrior's patience. While you wait and be patient, the Nine Realms laugh at us. If the old ways are done, you'd stand giving speeches while Asgard falls. You are a vain, greedy, cruel boy! And you are an old man and a fool! was a fool to think you were ready father hey Thor Odin son you have betrayed the express command of your king through your arrogance and stupidity you have opened these peaceful realms and innocent lives to the horror and desolation of war you are Unworthy of these realms, unworthy of your title! You're unworthy of the loved ones you have betrayed.
I now take from you your power. In the name of my father and his father before. I own it, our father. Cut you out! Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of 